Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. and welcome back to another episode of Tester's Island Discs, where today's special guest for our June 2021 episode is Beth Marshall. Beth is a senior test engineer with Smoothwall. You may well recognize her voice from being an active conference speaker, uh, her written word as a blogger, and she's an all-round multimedia guru. <laughs> uh, she records her own podcast, she appears on other people's podcasts, or you may have noticed her appearing recently on Racket, where among other things, she practices other accents. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Beth. Thank you so much. I don't think I'd go so far as to say uh, guru. Add any sort of appendage of guru to my name is is probably not the the, the way forward. But definitely racket. Hope, <laughs> hopefully, this is um, this is a really new thing, isn't it? I know that that you're on there too. You've done some brilliant rackets, and it seems to be well um, well seeded with testing goodness on there i'm really enjoying it you yeah it's it's really weird how fast this has cropped up when i recorded last month with simon tomes which was uh, you know a week or two before the episode dropped but um there weren't any testers on racket simon himself was still trying to get invites uh, on twitter it's one of these things where to begin with you have to get like 10 people to follow you before it unlocks your account so you can record and the, the testing community particularly the ministry of tests is, is so good and so tight that on the club there was a big thread where everyone could like cross recommend each other which means yeah it's still a very small social network uh, but i would say maybe like a quarter of all the active posters are posting about testing, which is mm. uh, it's amazing. So if you're not aware of it, it's a new social network of sorts, kind of for online mini podcast of sorts. So a bit like Twitter, where you have a limited character count, Racket has a nine minute audio limit and you can press record. You could talk for up to nine minutes. You know, you might do 30 seconds, you might do a long one uh, and then you hit go and you publish and there's no editing. Just what you record is what goes out. And the, ed- the, the owners um, have, I've said that it's designed to remove some of the barriers of entry to podcasting where something like recording this requires planning it requires a decent microphone compared to racket where you could just you know take your phone out of your pocket hit record use the microphone on your phone and you know suddenly you're a published author uh, as you are beth yes and you can be absolutely ridiculous as well you can say <laughs> whatever you like which which uh, definitely the accents thing is is me just be, being very silly which i, I enjoy <laughs> <laughs> I probably wouldn't get the permission to do it anywhere else. So, <laughs> I think that's the best thing about it is because no one really knows what the platform's for yet. There's loads of people experimenting with things. Um, someone has created an account purely to dictate all of Aesop's fables episode by episode, which is amazing. Um, someone's been like doing the karaoke practice on there. Uh, you and I have both interviewed our children. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah it's it's fantastic fun and yeah time will tell whether it grows and as with most social, social networks i think as they grow and grow the, the interest my interest is beginning to slide away and away so it's quite nice at the moment to just be a, a niche little hub for people to talk about testing and it's kind of an extension of the community yes yes ditto uh twitter spaces as well i don't know if you've experimented with that at all i mean i, I know it's a wider audience but um uh, I've certainly found Twitter Spaces is a nice a nice place to go and have a quite an informal sort of open conversation with other people in the testing community. I haven't dipped my toe in yet, but uh, time will tell. I'm sure I will. Um, speaking of audio, though, you've had a, an ongoing project to um, around people's blog posts and delivering an audio format of them. How did that come about, and what's what's that involve? As as with pretty much anything that you'll find me get getting up to it comes from a very ad hoc someone asked me to do something and I um say yes and then sometimes I say would you mind if I do it in this way or um so there's a there's a testing community called Synapse QA and I think they're based over in Malaysia but I'm not 100% on that but um last year they did a competition for um people to write blogs um, about something related to, to testing or development. And um, they, they published those on their platform. And, and then they decided they were going to um, produce audio versions of these uh, blog entries. And uh, 
they they did that using i noticed that they they'd done it using like an uh, a robot voice like a siri sort mm. of auto um auto-tuned voice and i just couldn't bear it so i said why don't i read these for you um not that i've got the personally got the best accent in the world but um sometimes i think the human element is just a little bit easier on the ears than than listening to a robot so um yeah so i'm hopefully over the next few weeks you'll you'll hear me reading lots of these different articles and trying my hand at lots of different um lots of different accents it's a bit like accent karaoke <laughs> i know i'm not particularly good at it but it, it won't stop me from trying <laughs> i've i've heard your accents on racket i think they're very good i, I look forward to for example hearing uh you, you doing like a, a dan ashby blog in a scottish accent uh, I, I think you would pull that off very very oh, well indeed <laughs> <I'd be amazing. laughs> uh, i don't do mine i'll, I'll save, save the rest of the world the trouble of, of hearing my accents <laughs> but um there's plenty of other things we're going to hear on this podcast today um one of which or should i say five of which are songs that you have chosen um that best represent uh either your favourite music or, or what music means to you. I gather you've had quite a tough, tough time narrowing yours down to five. I have absolutely agonised over these song choices. And I think it's because um, music just means so much to me. It's such a big part of my life. And I sort of, um, if someone says to me, and I've met very few of these people, but if someone says to me, I don't really listen to music or it's just a background thing or I only have one album that I've bought in the last 10 years and it's on in the car all the time, it kind of triggers this sort of alarm that I'm like, who, who, I, I can't trust you. You're not <laughs> like, you don't like music. Um, so, yeah, so someone, I, I, it was really important to me to, to get a nice group of uh, songs that ref reflected, I don't mind, I don't know, um, songs that I would want to listen to on a desert island again and again and again and again and again. And uh, there were literally probably thousands that I went through. And I've got my own mini Spotify playlist that I've had to refine <laughs> and refine. And um, yeah, so don't don't judge me too harshly because um, if, if people diss dis my taste in music then that's that's a a bit of a painful <laughs> blow to me <laughs> well i will i will let the audience down gently uh, um i because i have some bad news for them that one of those songs will not be hansen's mbop despite the fact that you've blogged about it in the past i was really <laughs> hoping that mbop was gonna make the cut <laughs> it, was, it came very close very close uh, because umbop the lyrics to umbop was the first thing that i ever googled and i didn't even google it i asked jeeves for it um that's how long ago it was it definitely dates me perfectly i think but um yeah not not to be well maybe maybe one day there'll be a service called ask beth where you can google song lyrics and you'll sing them back in the, the original <laughs> accents but while that doesn't exist um what is the first song you actually have picked for us today so i've gone for um a little bit of soul motown with gladys knight and the pips and baby don't change your mind um so i don't when I'm listening to music, like I don't think about um, or particularly care about the, the kind of history of the artist or the types of instruments or, or the, the why of it. Um, it just does something. Listening to this song does something to my brain. Um, you know, I'd love to be one of those people that goes in an MRI scanner so you can see what all these, all these neurons and things that fire off when you listen to a song. Um, that affects you in this way, but I've I've always loved this song, um, and I love um, Motown and soul music. It definitely has a, a large place in my heart. So, so yeah, this is this is a much loved, much loved um, record for me.
That was Baby Don't Change Your Mind by Gladys Knight and the Pips. Now, a quick acknowledgement of us being in a very weird time of recording here. We're recording just a few days before Test Bash Home this year, and this episode is going to come out a few days after Test Bash Home. So uh, that thing that's just happened, we don't know about it yet because it hasn't <laughs> happened. But, but it uh, was I'm, awesome. It was and that will be we awesome. Will And also, actually, I'm very excited. Uh, I think since the last episode dropped, uh, Mark and Richard have confirmed that Test Bash Home, come hell or high water, will return again next year, even though obviously this year we we don't have any more in-person Test Bashes this year, which is sad. But um, when we are all back together next year, Test Bash Home will continue to exist as a thing because it is a unique kind of conference. You know, it's online. It runs for 24 hours. Um, There's no expectation that you'll be there for the whole thing, but there are people who will do that. And that's amazing. Are you looking forward to it yourself, Beth? Yeah, big time. Um, I'm a big Ministry of Testing fan. I, I wouldn't kind of be here otherwise. But um, yeah, Test Bash Home last year for me was was a real kind of marker in the sand, and it, it really led me on to lots of other lots of other things in in that funny way that domino effect that that appearing at, at one thing can lead to other opportunities. Can and I've I've got a lot to thank Dan Billen for because. Um, he gave me my ticket to Test Bash Home and I'm uh, eternally grateful to him. So thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Uh, miss you, buddy. Uh, me, me and Dan obviously have a, a lot of projects going on on the side, uh, but with, with various other things happening in our lives. Uh, Dan and I have not had as much time together uh, physically or virtually as I would have liked recently. Uh, so uh, hopefully I'll put that right soon. But yeah, l- last year's Test Bash Home kind of, st- I was going to say started the Beth Marshall journey, but your career has been going on for years and years. But your your, your discovery of the community was relatively recent. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I I decided at the back end, I think the back end of 20, my New Year's resolution for as we went into 2020 was to try my hand at public speaking. And it took me until November 2020 to find something to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I really struggled with what what can I say that people will actually get something valuable from? or want to hear and um yeah i came up i came up with this concept of um well i i, I didn't originate this concept but I, I enjoyed learning about the sort of average tester and that was what my talk was about at um test bash manchester in 2020 which was my first big kind of international talk if you like um and uh yeah i I think it's really easy to focus on and emphasize and celebrate the really amazing things that happen um, that people achieve in their in their careers and you know the the super kind of 10x type tester that that just my imposter syndrome is just constantly triggered by when I read a lot of um, you know things online or, or go to conferences and you know, there's a lot of people watching those those conferences that just feel really like, um, what's the word? When when they leave the conference, they kind of feel a bit deflated because they think, oh well, I'm not going to be able to to do anything like that in in mm. my job that I'm going back to. And um, you know, when you look when you look at the data or whatever data we we can get hold of, you know, the majority of testers aren't spending all their time you know, writing unit tests and cutting code and um, a lot of these things that we're taught to believe that everyone does. And if you don't do them, um, there's no future for you. And um, yeah, it was important to me to to just be that voice of reason, really. And a lot of people have been in touch since to, to say that that's really helped give them a bit of confidence that there is a long-term career for them. And actually, Sometimes those um, rock star engineers are the ones that are the most toxic for the team and they don't have that longevity of career. So it's not something that you should always aim for. Uh, I absolutely agree. And I think I, I may have been someone who's been guilty of, of that in the past. Uh, but uh, I, I think it's really important that we, that we celebrate um not to trivialize it, but everyday stories, you know, what it's actually like to work. And that, because you, like you say, they are more relatable to people and there are, there are more things that you can learn from things that you can actually take back rather than these, um, like you say, superhero stories. Uh, it's one mm. of the reasons I, I really enjoyed uh, FailConf recently, which is a conference yeah. uh, where people's experience reports were specifically around when things went wrong. Uh, I think it's, it's really useful to, to, to not shy away from those things uh, because, yeah, you, you don't learn anything if everything's going right for you all the time. Yeah, yeah, totally agree.
One of my favourite parts of your Test Bash Manchester talk last year was the concepts that you came up with of the reputation audit. Uh, that's something that I have used myself since then. Uh, can you explain to the audience what that is? Oh, that is very cool. Um, well, this came about because I obviously wrote this talk for Test Bash Manchester um, and it was important to me that, that people could take away something from it that was an action that they could um, think about and um, I really wanted to stress that in the kind of ubiquity of, of everyone being online and, and people being available, that, that you would probably never have the opportunity to meet in, pe- in person. Mm. Um, we've sort of moved from that, that old adage of it's not, um, it's not what you know, it's who you know, to, to kind of it's not who you know, but it's who knows you. And there's there's lot been lots of times in the past twelve months when people that I did you know people from all over the world have been in touch with with me, um, purely f- through some of the the things that you do to kind of make yourself visible. And um, I think sometimes it's easy to get stuck in a rut with you know keeping your head down at work and just and just getting on with the the day to day of your job. And there's actually nothing wrong with that if that if that's working for you. Um, but it's easy to underestimate the value that that having a good reputation can bring to your career. I know you've mentioned in recent rackets about the fact that you've gone back and worked at previous companies and you, you know you've not burnt bridges and and that's helped you. And I certainly think that's that's a really, really important thing that we we ignore at our peril the fact that, Technical skills are really important, but equally important is that emphasis on um, your reputation as a tester and being seen as someone that um, is a, a good, valuable member of the team, someone that's the, the kind of, you know, can be the glue of the team, someone that that people want to be in a team with. Um, so, yeah, so the reputation audit was just a very basic Excel um, sort of spreadsheet, but but it gave the concept of think about who you want to be visible to. So you might not care about the wider community. You know, if that's not your thing, that's not your thing. But it might be really important to your career for your boss to know a bit more about you and who you are and what you can do. So maybe think about some of the ways in which as a tester you can do that. So it might be setting up a community of practice or it might be really small things like putting your hand up to speak at a company all hands or something. There's there's a lot of ways that if you put your mind to it, you can improve the way that others see you, um, improve that whole, it's, you know, it's not who you know, it's who knows you <laughs> thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I know we've, a number of testers have, have gotten in touch with me to say that they've they've had a little five minutes to to spend doing that, and it's helped them. So that's that's really cool. I think that's the great thing about it is it doesn't require a lot of time. I, I will put a link into both your talk and to uh, the template uh, in the show notes, so it's there for people who want to see it. But yeah, it's it's basically like it's it's a matrix, and once you fill that out, it becomes almost like a, a heat map of of who knows you. And the gaps on there are really telling. Like you say, sometimes you're fine with a gap if there's a particular thing that that. Uh, is not where you want to focus your time and energy but when it reveals something that you're like oh yeah um i haven't been talking to my boss enough about what it is that i do and, that, and you know maybe that matters to me uh, it's really useful and revealing i think to, to show those things off yeah totally agree and we'll move on to talk about some other things that you've created recently in the next section after we talk about song number two Okay, so song number two is Benfold's five um with a song called philosophy and I have been a Benfolds 5 fan for um, as long as I can remember. Um, I particularly like, so So Benfolds does a lot of so- solo stuff, obviously, that is um, amazing. And I remember going up to see him in uh, Glasgow and it was, it was really awesome. Um, but the Benfolds 5 stuff, they're, they're kind of unashamedly sort of quite pop rocky in their sound. Um I know Ben Folds himself learned, learned to play drums before he learned to play piano. 
So he kind of has that sound where he's playing the piano like a drum kit. <laughs> so it's super like rocky and, oh, I just love it. I could just listen to this song all day. Um, yeah, it's, it, I think it gives a nice, it, listening to it, it just makes you feel good if you're someone that's like not necessarily part of the in-group and, and, and you weren't when you were younger you kind of get a lift from listening to some of the Ben Folds Five stuff. It's sort of geek, geeky friendly rock music. I love it. So this is Ben Folds Five with Philosophy. That was Ben Folds 5 with Philosophy. Now, Beth, we've been talking about content that you've been creating lately, and some of the stuff that you've been doing is in an arena that I'm not familiar with. You're creating uh, a software testing boot camp at the moment with the Coders Guild. Can, can you explain who they are and, and how you've been involved? Yes. So the Coders Guild are a kind of um, training organization um, based in West Yorkshire, but I think they've got a presence in a few other places um the founder is a guy called crispin reed who i've got a lot of time for and um he really wants to get commun help get underrepresented communities more into technology that's sort of the, the kind of purpose of the company and for years he's been trying and failing to get any kind of um support uh, sort of government at government level to to help him to do that um and one of the one of the kind of positive sides of the pandemic is that the government were, were able to um, put some money into twelve uh, week boot camps that that were kind of a pilot project. So um, these were on a few different areas, so web web development and UX and and software testing was one too. So. Um, Unbeknownst to me, Crispin had been working with A.D. Stokes, who is obviously Ally A.D. Um, he's the uh, co-organizer of the Leeds Ministry of Test uh, get-together that's sadly on pause for now. Um, but he saw, A.D. saw my uh, Test Bash Manchester talk. And from that, when he was building out the boot camp specifications, you know, what the ses sessions were going to be about. Um, he remembered my talk and he wanted me to come and speak to the boot camp attendees who were um, from a very diverse background, residents in West Yorkshire, keen to get into software testing. And he wanted me to speak to them about employability skills. So he reached out and got in touch and I thought, this is amazing. Um, my mum was a teacher for a long time and she put me off teaching for life with <laughs> some of the tales that she had to tell. Um, but I've always been interested in teaching other people and, and being involved in, in coaching and mentoring and all that stuff. So this was a fantastic opportunity that I was never going to turn down. Um, it was, it kicked off at the start of the year and, um, I finished in, uh, March to focus on a few other bits, but, um, it's still going now with a second cohort and, and we've fed back hopefully to the, uh, DFE about how it, what worked well and, and hopefully it will be part of a, a wider rollout in the UK, um, to come to try and try to give people those skills for free. So it was a, um, eight week course that they practiced it's it's all about that that broad base of skills to what what really makes a tester so we weren't just saying here's what a test script looks looks like we were practicing exploratory testing we were thinking about presentation skills we were thinking about as i say employability skills or fundamental skills that you need as a software tester how do you think and how do you experiment and it was just, it was a brilliant learning curve for me. And um, we're now seeing the fruits of that labor with 
the boot camp attendees who are starting to find roles and find their first opportunities in testing. And it's just, oh, it's the nicest thing. It's something that I'd love to, time permitting, do a lot more of in my career, actually. It was, it's been a real, um, a really amazing experience uh, for me. So thanks, AD, for, <laughs> for adding me to the team. Yeah, it's been really <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a fantastic initiative. There are other similar people working in similar fields as well. Obviously, you, you've got the Ministry of Testing has, uh, has, has their essentials course. Uh, we've also, previous podcast guest Simon Pryor uh, is involved with Make a Tester, which he spoke about on this podcast and he's spoken about on his own podcast, The Testing Peers, as well. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's incredible that, that there are people who are. Um, I always want to say, always want to say, going back to the beginning, that this is almost the real heroes—the people who actually take the information from the field and take it back to those people who who don't know or who are perhaps new to the industry. Um, in some ways, when you, if, when you go into a room full of people who are like a, a completely clean slate, an open book, you know, who are you know ready to be shaped and molded, uh, in, in some ways that can be very exciting because you know you 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 can create them in your image or at least give them the skills that you want to give them. But in some ways, also, it must be. Um, a little bit scary if, if if they if they know nothing and you're like well okay how, how do you start to impart upon someone okay what what does it even mean to do testing yeah it, it is it's terrifying mm. um i think we were really lucky because um ad sort of handpicked um several working testers to create this course and we were really able to to bounce ideas off each other and say is this is this the right thing and, and obviously we had Ministry of Testing as a resource um, for information, which was really good. But um, yeah, I think it's breaking it down into those small steps and just trying to encourage people who are... So a lot of people were a bit scared by, is it going to be overly technical? Will I survive in this industry? Um, We had 50% women on the cohort and um, they were asking some very sensible questions about what the average day in the life of a tester looks like Mm -hmm. that I found it very hard to answer because everything when it comes to testing and the the kind of uh, the buzzword of the course, the motto of the course was that that famous testing motto of it depends. (laughs) So (laughs) there was a lot of it depends answers, but there was also a lot of common sense and a lot of this is the theory. This is what you might hear if you take ISTQB. And then this is what our reality looks like. Um, so hopefully we've, we've given a bit of grounding in the, the pragmatic side of testing as well as the theory. I hope so anyway. Fantastic. Uh, and another initiative that's helping to break uh, the, this testing exercise into smaller chunks is coming from the Ministry of Testing, which is uh, the concept of the 99-minute workshop. Um, you're among the members of the, the newest cohort who are working on putting some, some material together. How's that going? Oh, amazing. And let me tell you, there are some people in that cohort who I know already I am going to be attending their 99-minute workshops when they eventually deliver them. Um, I think it's a, a really great initiative, actually. So it was free for pro members to take part. Um, there are some really experienced um kind of workshop deliverers in there but they just want to get that consistency i think Mm. um i think it's important for ministry of tests but it's important for the instructors as well to kind of give a deliver a decent message and and know there's a there's a clear process for how to teach someone something in a way that's sticky to them um, particularly remotely because sometimes that's not the easiest thing to do so mark wintringham has been delivering this course on on wednesday evenings and you know, some of it's been a bit, you can tell it's a bit hot where he is. I think he has to turn the fan off so that he can <laughs> record the sessions. It's been a bit hot of late, but um, yeah, it's, it's been it's been really beneficial. And, and I'm hoping to um, start work on my uh, 99 minute workshop. I, th- I think a lot of the cohort are, are hoping to start to have something ready for around kind of September time, the back end of the year. So you'll see a lot of um, really awesome 99-minute workshops coming your way. So, yeah, keep an eye out. Can I put you on the spot and ask, do you have any idea what topic your workshop is going to be about? Ah, well, um, at the moment, so I had a few ideas initially, and part of the workshop is is really trying to hone that down and think about what people are interested in 
and what you are passionate about and what would make a good workshop talk. So, so I've plumbed for the concept of a test automation portfolio, which is Ooh. something that I'd, I'd love to discuss more, but, um, yeah, that's, that's my, that's my idea for the moment that I'm chewing over. Okay. Well, we're halfway through the podcast, so we're going to have a, another song from you now. But after that, we'll we'll talk a bit about uh, what a test automation portfolio is. Uh, prior to that, let's have your third song choice, Beth. Okay. So song number three is Maloko with The Time Is Now. And I think Maloko were an ama- just an amazing band. Um, they really remind me of my uni days, um, particularly the album Statues, but but also, you know, some of the earlier stuff. I remember going to um going to the library in, you know, in Grimsby in the small town where I was, and they just started to do C D um where you could loan a CD. <laughs> and so <laughs> so I used to go there armed with, you know, three or four quid and uh try and pick up as many good albums and try and improve my kind of musical education. So I used to get things like uh, Hunky Dory by David Bowie and Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys and just um, just listen to random things that I wouldn't necessarily listen to. I guess it was kind of the, that was the sort of closest I got to Spotify when I was <laughs> like 15. Um, but but yeah, certainly the, the Maloko albums were ones that I well, the earliest Maloko album was one that I got out and and just loved it. I love her voice, um, Rasheen Murphy's voice. It's beautiful. Um, and I think this song in particular, it's been a little bit hijacked by, um, I guess, the Premier League or whatever football. Sky Sports um, or, yeah. Yeah, that plays it all the time. But I expect a lot of people might not know the original song, maybe. Um, and it's it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant song. When listening to that in the UK, I certainly do feel like there's a football match about to start, but that's Maloko <laughs> with The Time Is Now. And in the previous section, uh, Beth was talking about the fact that she's put together a, a workshop about how to build a test automation portfolio. Um, that's a really interesting concept. Certainly, um, putting together practical exercises as a tester is a really difficult thing to do. Um, what would you put into an automation portfolio, Beth? That's a re- that is a very good question because I think it it depends on um i think different people will will be inspired to put different things in um i'm actually i've written an article on um a guide to how i wrote my test automation portfolio with a bit of um what what might be helpful to others um and that's coming out at the start of next month um on ministry of testing so if if this is something that piques your interest please keep an eye out for that but but yeah test automation portfolio is is something that i was inspired by angie jones who's my absolute tech hero um she wrote an article about um ways to kind of you know i think if you're a ux designer or sometimes if you're a developer having proof of your work is kind of a second nature thing having a por- having a portfolio to show others what you can do but for testers that isn't always um necessarily thought about and, and sometimes it's it's not necessary but there there may be times when actually if you, if you want to practice learning something and you want to practice becoming more maybe more involved in blogging or having a journey that you go on talking about how you build a test automation portfolio what matters to you what you want to what you want to work on what you want to learn what you want to grow um could be a really great way of of improving that you know becoming more when we're talking about being more visible i think this kind of stuff is a is a really great way to lean into that it doesn't have to be you know, it doesn't have to be a five-year-long project. It can be just a small thing that you do that you let other people 
know about. Um, and yeah, so I was able to build six with, with a, a lot of help from test automation university. Um, I was able to build, I think six different frameworks. So it was important to me to, um, look at testing throughout the stack. So think about unit testing and maybe think about API testing and then think about codeless automation, which I'd not really done much with, but was quite impressed with actually. Um, and I, I learned a lot and then I blogged about it piece by piece, the different things that I had and kind of this journey from, from zero to, to getting there, to getting something. And, um, yeah, people seem to, to quite enjoy that. A lot of people have been in touch with me about that. So, so yeah, I'd be curious, um, to know if that's something that people would be interested in attending a workshop on and, and having to think about how they could do something similar, um, for these, this 99 second, uh, workshop, that'd be really cool. Yeah, I'm tremendously interested. I mean, I've got a few code snippets slash samples that are floating around on my GitHub repository, mostly like tech tests I've done for, for people or that sort of thing. But I guess one of the challenges of having a portfolio of automation is that unlike a portfolio that you might traditionally think of, like a, a portfolio of art or a portfolio of writing, um, technology moves along. And if you've got a, a super slick demo using Selenium 2 that you wrote a few years ago, it, <laughs> it may not necessarily be be, be the most um, relevant thing now. It's it, you know, If you're an artist, your paint doesn't change. You don't have to go back and go, oh, shit, I need to write yeah. this, redo, the, redo this artwork with the latest paint. That's, that's true. That is true. But I, I also think... Um, if you need it for a particular reason, so if if you if you need to demonstrate that you're keeping up to date with trends for a job interview, well, just freshen that portfolio up. You know, I I did a one one of my episodes was about Selenium four and about I all I want to do is learn how to use I think um, relative locators. That that was the whole point of this whole framework. I want to do this because I want to use Selenium four and use how to use learn how to use relative locators. Um, and it, it's, again, it's, it's just getting an essence of, oh, you can learn this new thing if it comes up because there's always going to be new, new tools to add to the tool belt. And, um, yeah, I think being too rigid with a tool set is, is never a good thing, but, but an advantage of a portfolio is, is the, what you put in it is down to you. So you can have that breadth if that's, if that's what you want, or you can go, um, deep into something. Yeah, one of the things I'm looking for when I'm hiring people is not necessarily experience with a particular tool or a particular version of a tool. Mm. It, it's more that someone can demonstrate their ability to learn, uh, and you know, because as you say, tools will come and go. Uh, so uh, the concept of having a portfolio sounds sounds really valuable. Uh, you mentioned Test Automation University. I understand you're in the midst of creating some coursework for them yourself. <gasps> I know. I'm. I'm like this is a big deal to me so this this was the reason that i um couldn't kind of continue with committing to the the boot camp um in quite such an active way um i was asked by angie jones who i'm i was amazed she had even knew who i was um but she asked me if i would be interested in creating a course on postman so there's a wonderful course on Test Automation University already um, by Amber Race that's all about exploratory testing um, service APIs. And she kind of uses Postman a little bit um, in, that, um, in that course. So I didn't want to rewrite the wheel there. And I really wanted to build on what, what she'd done because what she'd done was fantastic and I didn't think I could do, you know, I could improve on that. So, so I really... I'm, I'm halfway through the course, uh, the kind of first draft of the course I'm getting there. And, um, yeah, I'm really more focused on the, uh, the kind of postman itself. What, what can you do in postman as a tool? Because I think there's a lot of features that users don't really explore. They just use it as an, more of an ad hoc, that ad hoc exploratory testing thing. Um, or just to run a few, you know, they'll run a few manual tests through there, but they don't realize that it can do a lot of other awesome things. Um, and I know 
that <laughs> you've dropped in a few places that you've managed to be fortunate enough to to get a job at Postman. Yeah, I, I, breaking spill, news. Spill, spill, spill. I want to hear all about <laughs> Yeah, so I have mentioned this on Racket in a couple of places, so it's not entirely fresh news, but I, I certainly teased it on the podcast last month that I was in the midst of a, a job transition. Um, it's still going to be a couple of weeks away by the time this episode lands, but yeah, um, I basically found myself in a position where um, decided to move on from my current job, primarily because we're in a place now where post-COVID um, we're, we're trying to go now back into the office at least you know three or four days a week mm-hmm. and a lot has changed for me since since covid arrived i had a baby two days before lockdown uh, wow. and suddenly my, my home life is obviously now very different and it's um the benefits of having a remote working experience for me are massive uh, and i'm looking to maintain that so I actually gave a little hint back on the podcast back in episode 39, which is when me and Mark Winteringham um, spoke when he handed the control of the podcast back to me. I gave a little cryptic message where I said, um, I basically said, I know what company I want to work for next. And everything that I'm putting out into the world is is guiding to myself towards trying to make that happen. And that company was Postman. Like I, I knew that I wanted to work for them. And that's why I've been doing things like I've done a bit of uh, test streaming on Twitch. I put some YouTube videos out, you know, just, just trying to do things that might position myself to be a, a good hire for them. And when the time came, I, I approached them and they have quite a long and, and complex hiring process. Uh, a very, very enjoyable one. but. Yeah, I, I just just found myself in the right place at the right time, and other, other options came my way. People heard on the grapevine that maybe I was looking, uh, but Postman was always number one, and it was just like it was like a guided missile. It's like, yeah, let's do this. The the only downside has been the fact that I've been on a three month notice period, so it's it's been like hearing what you're going to get for Christmas in September, and then like, <laughs> okay, yeah, but it's it's still September, uh, and um, yeah, I, I cannot wait to get stuck in. Uh, to an extent, I am. I mean, I'm I'm not as active in the community as as our good friend Danny Dainton, a fellow now fellow Postman employee, uh, but An absolute um, legend. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and he has big shoes uh, that I have to uh, to try to try and match. I think, but uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm around and about doing Postman things, uh, and that will only increase in the future. Oh, it's so cool. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Uh, they're they're uh, definitely yeah. a, d- a destination company, aren't they? There's somewhere that um, certainly the treatment that I got when I uh, when I presented at Postman Galaxy mm. um, this year was was just in, just incredible. And if, if they treat their employees anyway near as well as they treat their guest speakers, then then mm. you are in for a treat, my friend. Thank you. Yeah. I, I'm uh, setting my sights on, on Galaxy next year. I'm hoping that the, the Postman do weekly Twitch streams as well. I'm hoping to appear on there, uh, hopefully sometime this year. You know, all, all being well, I'm sure there's a there's a, a short list of people who are trying to get on there. But uh, yeah, cannot wait. Oh, that's brilliant. Super but, cool. uh, yeah, but enough about me. We, we, we're not here to talk about me. I'm here every week. <laughs> uh, we, we'll uh, talk a bit more with you in the next section about um, how you can put content out there, particularly if like conference talks isn't your thing. But in the meantime, uh, your fourth song choice. Yes. So. Um, things people probably don't know about me, two, two major things. One, I am an enormous RuPaul's Drag Race super fan. Um, I've watched it. I, I've watched every episode several times of, of most of the series. So so please, if you see me at a conference and, and you want to come and talk to me and you've ever seen RuPaul's Drag Race, please come and talk to me about it. Um, the first song that I played, the Gladys Knight song, was a, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the show, um, but it, it was a, a lip sync for your life song where where the, the drag queens that are in the bottom of that week's contest have to perform a lip sync. And, and that was one of the songs that they chose. So that was why part of the reason why it was on my list. But my fourth song is um, Daddy Freya with Think About Things. I, I don't think I've pronounced that right, but um, they were the other thing that I really like, kind of really, really enjoy is uh, Eurovision. And this year, actually, I was invited by Chris Armstrong to be in a little Slack uh, live Eurovision streaming group, which was immensely fun. Um, but but yeah, I, I kind of I love that celebration of music and I, I thought this song was exceptionally good. Um, it was it was such a shame because um, this was the Icelandic entry for 2020, when sadly the um, contest was cancelled, 
and this would have won hands down i think i think it went on to to have a, a you know massive be massively commercially successful for good reason um and and the band are incredible and this is actually written about the uh the lead singer's uh baby um he he'd had a baby and he wanted to write a song that that sort of talked about that relationship which i which i love because i think sometimes when i listen to the radio i can't relate to a lot of the you know, a lot of the stuff that it talks about, really, you know, I've been in quite a comfortable relationship for 15 years. I'm pretty happy. Things are okay. So, so a lot of the, a lot of the stuff on the radio today, I, I don't really get it, but this song really, really, I found relatable. And uh, yeah, yeah. See me at a conference and come and talk to me about Eurovision or, or RuPaul's Drag Race and I'll be your best friend. That was Darby Freya with Think About Things, which I'm pretty sure is the first Eurovision song to appear on the Tessa's Island Discs playlist. It's a hard thing to search for, uh, but scrolling down the <laughs> uh, the 200 old songs on the playlist, I don't think there have been any Eurovisions on there. So, uh, I, I could, I, yeah. Uh, we've been talking, Beth, about the many different ways that you put content out there, um, some of which may be, for example, conference talks uh, or creating a course. Those sort of things aren't necessarily for everybody. Perhaps people who don't want to put their own face or voice out there too much or, or you know, they, they would, would rather take it in through some other form. Do you have any recommendations for perhaps less intense ways that people can begin to put content out there? Yes, I, w- I would totally agree. It's not it's not really for everybody. Um, you know, sometimes being a bit more of a passive um absorber of these things uh, is the most valuable thing for you i would probably say if you wanted to try one thing i've actually enjoyed as someone who kind of finds sometimes finds it a bit uncomfortable being on video all the time and having to think about oh my hair and you know all that stuff um is some of these voice only platforms like I've, i have really enjoyed um, racket and Twitter spaces. So I would definitely encourage people to give that a try if that's the, if that's their thing. And maybe you want to collaborate with someone on something, you know, share ideas and, and work on a shared blog post or, or do something like that. But I guess the smallest, the smallest step you can do that will be helpful to somebody else and probably helpful to you is, um, how would I phrase it? Uh, be a good guest. So, when I used to go on, um, there's there's a there's a phase of of every girl's life and, and boy's life, I guess, where you get invited to a lot of Hindus or you know, <laughs> stag do's, and you know I did my fair share of of attending various Hindus that may or may not have been my choice of of things to do, but it was always um, really important to me that I'd been invited on that hen do to give the hen a good time, make sure she had a really good experience. And I think in in that way, when you attend a conference or, you know, listen to someone speak, a really small thing you can do is just make make sure you're a good guest. Be positive, be supportive, say what you like. Um, you know, don't be afraid to um, you know, question things, but but kindly and politely, and be someone that other people want you at their at their event. It's a really small thing you can do, but it, it's always appreciated as as someone that's on the other side of that. Um, you're you're you know when you're a speaker, it's so easy to think no one no one wants to listen to me, or I haven't got anything to say, or um, they hate it, especially when it's online because you you really don't get that same instant feedback. Mm. There's no, that feedback loop is is sometimes just you, uh, you know, shouting into the void. So, so yeah, just please, please 
if if you want a small thing to do, just say thank you. Just say I really enjoyed that, and this is why. Fantastic, yeah, and I think that's one of the challenges with um, being a conference attendee, either in person or remote, is. Uh, as an attendee, you sometimes feel like in order to get the most value out, you should be sitting there scribbling notes down all the time when mm. actually the nature of the platform, particularly with military testing, both their in-person and online conferences is these talks have been recorded. And as an attendee, you will be given access to that. So you don't need to write down all the words that are on the slide. It's much mm. more important that you you feel engaged with them. And that is, yeah, if that means putting your pen down, just having a listen. And certainly there are people who, who do useful things to the community, like putting tweets out, live tweeting a conference, which is very beneficial. But actually, um, if you can take your time to really, really engage with the speaker and yeah, connect with them on one thing afterwards and say, actually, that thing you said about that, like, I mean, I, I genuinely meant it earlier about the reputation audit has been really valuable for me. Uh, I think that's that's really, really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the version of like, if you if you go and see Beyonce in concert and you're on the front row and you spend the whole time recording it on your phone, don't do that. Don't do that. Just be in the moment. A couple of years ago, I saw Kylie Minogue at the O2 Arena in London, awesome. and I was in I was in the gold circle. I was one of these people who who paid too much and got there very early, and I was in the second row, like one row back from the barrier. And the entire first half hour of the conference, someone on the front row on the barrier was tweeting about their horrendous experience, about how hard it was to get in, and oh, they've been hot, they weren't given any water. It's like you're on the front row of the concert, put your phone down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, look up. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, as I've said, uh, you, you are someone who, who puts a lot of content out there yourself. Um, have you taken inspiration from the way that other people create their content? Or is there anyone, anyone you want to give a shout out to uh, uh, that you've seen out there? Yeah, definitely. I I I love to be positive about um, lots of people. And I definitely get inspiration from the likes of Angie Jones. Everything she does, does is just golden. Like she can do no, she can do no wrong in my eyes. Um, I'm a, a patron for the Testing Peers podcast, which I love. Um, I know we were speaking about Simon Pryor earlier. Um, all the guys that do that podcast, I think, are, um, are really their hearts really in the right place, and they really want to do something for the community, and they they do a brilliant job on that podcast. Um, also, the Guilty Tester podcast, which I know you've been on a few times, and actually. Um, circling back to the boot camp you were you were unbeknownst to you you have been part of the boot camp because i showed them a little extract of a guilty tester podcast in which you talked about uh, a, a terrible experience you'd had with a bug report that had been over engineered oh my god yes yeah. and so <laughs> you you have passed on that that mantle to people to to let them know you can over engineer test bug reports and sometimes it's easier to just go and have a conversation fantastic well we'll have to talk off air about how, how the commission works on that uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah too, i mean yeah. too many others to mention you know obviously ministry of testing julia pottinger i absolutely love everything she does um the testing panda andy knight he's he's amazing too like ah, oh, we're just full of people that want to share <laughs> their knowledge like so yeah. freely and generously and, and we're really lucky as a community to have that i think yeah, I think all I can say to, to both you and to everyone else out there who's doing this stuff is, is to keep doing what you're doing. Uh, it, it's brilliant that people are, are putting this much stuff out into the world, particularly now uh, when there is, uh, you know, th there's some negativity in the world, but there's so much positivity within within the test community. And uh, yeah, I'm delighted to be a part of it and delighted to have had you here with me today, Beth. Before we say goodbye to you, um, I, meant, I mentioned maybe I could get commission from you. I've actually, I've seen what your fifth song choice is and your fifth song choice is commission enough for me. <laughs> yeah, it's an absolute tune, isn't it? So my fifth song is Taylor Swift with um, Shake It Off, which is just the epitome in my eyes of just classic, pure, unashamed, undiluted pop goodness. Um, I could listen to this song and badly dance around my living room to it or on a desert island like no one was watching i think uh, until someone came in the rescue boat to pick me up so yeah this is taylor swift shake it off
is a second appearance on the podcast for Taylor Swift. The first one being from me, <laughs> this time with <laughs> Shake It Off. Um, yeah, unashamed of Taylor Swift fan here myself. Um, as you may have seen from my rackets, I've been going through a music theme set of rackets of late. I'm considering a second series of those, which will just be Taylor Swift songs, because there are so many that have perfect titles. You've got Bad Blood. You've got I Knew You Were Trouble. Uh, I, yes. I, think, I think there is a Taylor Swift series in the making. It may be too niche, but I think you've got to try these things, haven't you? Oh, yeah, give it a go. <laughs> cool. Watch the space. In the meantime, uh, it's been fantastic talking to you today, Beth. That's your your five songs uh, and so much material there that's available for people in the show notes. The one other thing you're allowed to bring with you to the Desert Island is one book of your choice to keep you busy for all eternity when Taylor Swift isn't playing. Uh, what was your choice of book? Okay, so... Um... There were, there were several. I, w- I would probably go for, um, if it was kind of a fiction thing, I'd go for Day of the Triffids, I guess, is a classic to me, or 1984, um, or any of the Harry Potters. You know, I'm not going to I'm not gonna be too highbrow about this. But um, it, in terms of, of nonfiction, there's a wonderful book by Carol Tavris and Elliot Aronson called Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. And um, I don't think it's it's even published anymore, but it's, it's possible to get a copy from eBay or the likes, I think. And for me, every now and then, and, and I mean like a couple of times in your life, you'll read a book that impacts you in such a way that you're reminded of it almost every day and the, the lessons that it teaches you. And this book was definitely that for me. You know, it talks about the sort of... Uh, the power of cognitive dis- dissonance and how people fundamentally think that they're they're kind of moral and good people and we all think that about ourselves so we think the decisions we make are right and then by you know by contrast the decisions other people make if they're not the same are wrong there must be um something wrong there and um i think in reading this book and it's it's taught me how people justify the mistakes that they've made in the past and we're often all guilty of kind of rewriting our own history a little bit. Um, you know, we shake off the things that might have been uh, things that we have had something to do with. Our, our mind conveniently makes us forget those and rewrite those. And I, I see it a lot in um, in sort of day to day and being aware that that is, that is fundamentally the way that we think as human beings. Mm. Otherwise, none of us would ever sleep at night. Um, has made me much kinder and more understanding of of other people who would have once infuriated me. Now I can kind of um, now I can see their point of view a lot more, and and that has helped me massively. So so yes, if anyone wants to read about uh, cognitive dissonance and uh, you know all that good stuff, take a look at that book definitely. Fantastic. I shall add it to the bookshelf. Yeah, there's there's so many of these little facts out there. I can't remember the exact percentage, but it's one of these things like where 80 or 85% of people think they are better than the average driver when that's not how averages work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, very true. So you can find Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me on the Tessa's Island bookshelf. We've got a collection on goodreads.com, which is linked on the show notes. And you can find a link to the Spotify playlist, which contains all of our songs, now with a double dose of Taylor Swift. Thank you very much, Beth. Thank you for being (laughs) on the podcast for for that reason alone. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me and and hosting me. It was really nice. It's been a pleasure. Normally at this point, I'd say, have you got anything coming up? I think you've made it very clear that not only have you got a lot coming up, you probably don't have much more time to commit to anything else right now. Very true, but I'm always open for people to to come and chat, and and I love collaborating with other people. So if if you've got a project that's that's interesting, um, you never know, I might be able to make the time. Uh, uh, well, I, I don't doubt it for a second. The, the amount of things you've been involved with, uh, it, it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure to have you here on the podcast today, Beth. And yeah, I, I look forward to. Oh, I keep signing off podcasts like this. I look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon. You know, let's mm. hope it's this year, but mm. you, you, who knows where or when. But uh, if not, I'm sure we'll cross paths on, on a racket or two, uh, if not in person. Yes, and I very much look forward to hearing all about your uh, your adventures at Postman. <laughs> I, I think there may well be a maybe like a weekly uh, postman 
like dev diary type thing that I'll, I'll produce as soon as I start, just again, to to kind of keep myself honest and say, well, here's what I managed to do this week. I, I love being someone who measures what it is that I accomplish. And I think having something like that to keep me honest would be really useful. So yeah, yeah. let's see if that works for us. Cool. Well, um, we'll be back again, same time next month. Uh, we'll be July by then. I don't know where the year is going, but uh Take care of yourself, everybody, um, wherever you are in the world uh, and whatever is going on in your situation right now. Uh, I really hope the very best for you and uh, look forward to speaking to you all soon. Uh, thanks again, Beth, for being on the podcast. Thanks so much. Bye-bye, everyone. I'll speak to you all soon. Bye. Testers Island Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing, written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island. <laughs>